So good that we're so friendly, we're so in love with everyone. Releasing some of that love we've just got experiencing. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Father, for what you're doing here right now. Yeah, we'd love you just to be standing. We're going to do the um, say our word. We want to honor the word of God. The reading today is taken from Luke chapter 10, verse, starting at verse 25. Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written is the law. What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have, given, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend." Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. I just pray now that my words would be forgotten, but you would come and guide us into all truth. I just pray, Father, would you place your heart within us this morning. Would you download from heaven your heart, that our hearts would be moved with what moves you, and you'd make us more and more like Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. If you're brand new here, my name's James, and it's a joy to welcome you. Uh, if you are joining us, we're about just over halfway through an 18-month series 
uh, going through every single part of Luke's gospel. We began uh, November 22. We're going to finish uh, just after Easter 24. And um, we're kind of about halfway-ish uh, in Luke's gospel at the moment, picking up one of the most famous passages of the Bible ever. <laughs> so let me ask you a question. In all honesty, do you believe you are a good Christian? Let me sharpen that a bit. If, if you were stood before God, do you believe that you're a good enough Christian? Do you believe you're a good enough Christian? Let me describe a scenario to you. Um, Chankton Breeze got one of its worship and prayer nights. We're all gathered. It's the autumn. It's dark. Liam and the gang are blazing away. John's got his trumpet out, leading the cavalry. And, uh, you know, we're all ascending the hill of the Lord and pressing in. But as, as the Spirit leads us and it quietens down, there's a really quiet moment in the meeting. And suddenly that atmosphere is disturbed from what sounds like a crash outside. Straight after the crash, uh, there seems to be raised voices, even just violence in the conversation. Something's kicking off, but the church, we as a church, we're there for the Lord. We're at worship and prayer, and so we continue on. The night's late. When it's time, the meeting's finished, and we begin to slip off. Uh, most people, you know, knowing that it's time to get to work the next day, uh, need to get home, get, get into bed, get sorted, ready for the day ahead. The rector leads the church, finds that there must have been some sort of car crash, because there's a car clearly quite badly damaged, blocking some of the road. Concerned about the reputation of the church and how much our community don't like people parked in the wrong place and obstructing roads, the rector makes his way home as quickly as he can, uh, posts on the village website uh, that there's been an obstruction in the road, uh, don't know if it's to do with the church, and makes sure everybody knows what to do. Uh, one of the KFC leaders is leaving church, Kingdom Family Community Leaders, uh, with their family, got the kids, uh, walks past the car crash, sees a man lying on the ground, but has got the kids with them uh, and doesn't want the kids seeing anything untoward, so rushes them quickly home to bed and uh, goes on with their way. Someone else comes into the community, sees the car crash, Finds the man lying on the ground, looking in very bad shape, picks him up, drives straight to the Roundabout Hotel in West Chiltington, books him in for a couple of nights, then spends the rest of the, uh, the night on the phone organizing care, and the next morning phones the doctor's surgery to make sure this man receives the attention. Now you can fill in who that person was who looked after the man. But let me suggest a few options for us. The person who collected the man was a liberal revisionist Christian. 
a lobbyist hoping the church changes its doctrine. Or uh, at Wilton Park, which is Whiston House, where they bring warring nations together. Putin had arrived for some high-level talks with Biden, off the beaten track, out of Whitehall, away from prying eyes. Uh, and Putin decided to take a tour through the uh, surrounding areas and swept through Ashington Village with his entourage. <laughs> this is a made-up scenario. <laughs> Gathers the man up, makes sure he's cared for. Let's try someone else. Biden realized he needed the former right-wing aggressive leader of America. Donald Trump swept through Washington. <laughs> Someone who, to be fair, hasn't really helped evangelical Christians and their reputation the world over. Attended to the man. Let's try somebody else. Sam Smith. Not our Sam, married to Simon. Sam Smith, the singer. You know the one who did that satanic show uh, earlier this year in February. Swept through the community. Gathered up the man. Took him to the hotel. What I'm trying to describe to you is the drama that would have played out when Jesus told this story. And the drama would have been played out because the Samaritans were anathema to devout Jews at the time. And the, the reason we miss that drama is because Samaritans just get sort of bundled up with, you know, generally people who lived around Israel and Palestine, you know, at that time. But the Samaritans were anathema for three reasons. Number one, they didn't believe in Jerusalem as the place precious to God's heart. Number two, they didn't believe that you had to go to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. They had their own place to worship. But the third and worst thing in the eyes of devout Jews about the Samaritans was that they were interbred. They weren't pure as a race. They married people who were not consecrated to God. They married foreign nations and that had entered their lineage and they... Therefore, in the eyes of devout Jews, were impure and unclean. And so when Jesus tells what is the most famous story, you can feel the punchiness of the drama, trying to find some modern-day parallels which may or may not have worked. Now, this story is the most famous story, and people like Lily, who are teachers, this will be the go-to assembly in church schools, won't it? Everybody loves the Good Samaritan. We, we've set up a charity, the Samaritans, all based on what seems to be the focus of this story, which is to care for those who have been mistreated, to extend practical social action, practical care to those who've been damaged, bruised, beaten, left behind. But the focus of this teaching is not actually about social action and caring for the poor. Now, I'll go on to say why in just a moment, but I just want to, in passing, just say that though the focus of this passage is not about caring for the poor, caring for the disenfranchised, caring for those whose life has 
just dumped on, it is vital that we don't miss that message as a church. Because we live in a very affluent, very materialistically rich area. On planet Earth, we are the 99.99999%, no, sorry, we're the 0.000 whatever. We are wealthy beyond belief on comparison with planet Earth. We will have walked or driven past the most abundant, opulent properties when you think globally in our world today. I know some of us here will be struggling to make ends meet, but, but when you think globally, what we have surrounding us and just the narrative of you know, just wealth and riches and all that stuff, I just want to note in passing that this is really important for us to keep on the agenda. Jesus said, challenging, challengingly, it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle. And because we're surrounded by all that stuff, it's easy for the stuff to take prominence in our lives and not Jesus Christ. And it's easy when the stuff takes prominence in our lives to lose our soft-heartedness towards those who haven't and to be led practically. It's also really important for us because we love upward encounter with God and being in his presence. But Jesus really wants us to be useful on earth horizontally as he sends us out to really make a difference in people's lives. Okay. Now I say all those things because I just want to share with you I've never preached on the Good Samaritan before in my whole life. So as I was just engaging with it this week, I was just getting like hit by it, just generally. Um, but as I've just been uh, praying it through, just in that passage this week, two words stood out, and I don't think they relate to a message this morning, to care for the poor, to care for the disenfranchised, though that is vital. There are two words that stood out this morning, and something that is going on in this passage, which is woven right throughout Luke's gospel. Jesus, in this passage, is dealing with the, the issues related to our hearts. And time and again, as we've seen, right throughout Luke's gospel, we have kingdom impact and Jesus training his followers about the issues of the heart. So we've just... Uh, he's just been rejoicing in the kingdom impact when the 72 have returned. He's been refocusing them, again, issues of the heart. But he's just been rejoicing in the work of the kingdom that the 72 have been sent out, camo paint on, to just make some serious impact for the kingdom. Delivering, demon, uh, delivering people of demons, you know, extending the boundaries of God's kingdom, preaching the gospel, all those sorts of things. And Jesus is pumping, he's rejoicing. And then straight away, he's bringing them back into the place of training their hearts for what's to come. Now, this, is vital, this was vital for them, but it's also vital for us. Because how many of us know that every single time God is moving, every single time there's been a, a real significant work of God down the ages, it always is threatened to halt or is disrupted by issues of the heart. Every single time the Lord is doing something amazing with a church or in a movement, it's always issues of the heart 
that disrupt what God is doing. It either explodes it, slows it down, or, you know, whatever. So Jesus is training his followers, and he's training us, because he's going to send his followers to disciple nations. That's where it's going. He's going to ascend, he's going to send them, and he doesn't want their hearts unprepared so that they fall into the traps that are so easy to fall into. So in this passage, he uses the opportunity of a trap set for him by a lawyer to teach something about the issues of the heart. And the reason I say that is because if you look at... um, Well, well, let's just read it through. Verse 25. Then, Just then, a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Now, Luke wants us to know this was a lawyer, a guy intelligent, clever, probably powerful, influential, and clearly he's got an agenda because he wants to test Jesus. He says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26. He, Jesus, said to him, What does the scripture say? And the man says, what do you read there? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your strength. He's quoting scripture, Deuteronomy 6, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, you've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. And then verse 29, this word jumped out to me. But wanting to justify himself, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into what is the most famous story, parable, that has been told the world over. But wanting to justify himself. So what's going on? That element of self-justification is everywhere in the human heart. And it's everywhere in our day even now. Have you ever noticed how we're living in a day and age where society doesn't seem to be able to take responsibility but wants to self-justify every possible opportunity? I found it hilarious. Do you remember that chap who broke out of prison quite recently? Do you remember? And do you know, he broke out of prison. He spent four nights on the run. And you know, I was sort of, you're following the story. You know there's a little part of you which sort of, kind of, go on, lad. Do you ever think that? It's just, you can imagine he's like ducking and diving, he's hiding on people's beds, he's like, you know, kind of like finding, you know, there's part of you which is like, oh, go on. Um, he's sort of thinking, how would I do it? You know, where would I, you know, I'd go and camp out on the downs, no one goes up there, or, you know, get up to Scotland or, or whatever. Anyway, four nights on the run, he gets arrested, about 10 miles away from the prison he broke out of. And guess what he pleaded? He pleaded not guilty. Now, he was arrested out of the prison, 10 miles out of the prison after four nights and escaping, and he pleads not guilty. It's like, how, how does he even do that? It's like, at what point do you say, yeah, do you know what, guys? I, just, I went for it. I gave it a go. I gave it a whirl. Um, but he pleaded, and this is, what, this is what we're in. It's like, no, we're living in a day and age when, where everybody's like self-justifying, not taking responsibility. Now, what's going on with this guy? Because he, he's, he's clearly 
trying to trap Jesus, but then Jesus gives him scripture, love the Lord your God with all your soul, mind, strength, everything within you, and love your neighbor as yourself. Suddenly something is stirred up in this guy's heart because then wanting to justify himself, he says, who's my neighbor? Now I think something of, whether this landed on your hearts, something of Jesus' response from Deuteronomy 6 is similar to the question I asked you. Are you a good enough Christian? And I think there's two responses that the human heart has to that question. And I think probably two responses this lawyer has when Jesus says, look, Deuteronomy 6, love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first is the fear of condemnation. Anybody here, when I said, are you a good enough Christian, you were like, I kind of thought I was. <laughs> now I stop and think about it. And if Jesus stood in front of us and asked us to reel off every thought, attitude, action, be like, ah, oh, fear of condemnation. I don't know if this lawyer was afraid because every lawyer I know doesn't suffer from a lack of self-confidence. <laughs> and I think that probably what was coming out of him justifying himself was quite the opposite to fear, was pride. I mean, he's laid a trap for Jesus publicly in front of a bunch of people. Jesus answers from Scripture, and this guy's wanting to justify himself. You know, I, I sort of imagine him sort of puffing out his chest, you know, uh, and who is my neighbor? Because everybody knows, you know, I support four charities. You know, at least, at least twice a week I go down to the local homeless shelter. You know, everybody knows I'm a really, really good person. And Jesus, in response gives a situation so provocative it pulls him and all of us up short because by describing the Samaritan as being the true neighbor, the lawyer was brought face to face with the fact that not every single situation in our lives is perfect. I think by telling that story, the lawyer was provoked to think, even if he was, this is conjecture, supported multiple charities, was a good person, a community figure, you know, one of those people who are just, you know, he's, a, he's such a lovely person. And Jesus tells such a provocative story to illuminate the truth that not every single one of our motives is always and completely perfect. You know, the sorts of situations where we justify ourselves in our minds. Sometimes through fear, but probably a lot of the time through pride. Or, or just the justification which doesn't flow from the heart of God. You know, how many times have you had that internal conversation with yourself? I really shouldn't do anything for this homeless guy because he looks dangerous. I better not give them money because I've been told that they spend it on drugs. 
How many times have you heard an appeal for some help from your KFC leader? Well, you know, I'm actually really busy, you know, and da, 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 da. We justify ourselves in our minds. How many times have you, uh, have we, have I, made those judgments in my secret place of thinking where we think, thank God my life is not like their life? Or, do you know what, they, yeah, I'm doing pretty well in compared to them, in comparison with them. Just this stuff is, is just in there, and Jesus is using this powerful story to bring us up short and bring us to the heart of the gospel. Because at the heart of the gospel is the truth that none of us can justify ourselves. And you know, uh, you probably heard that old um, uh, description, if you like, that there'll come a day where every one of us will stand before God's throne and, and he'll play a movie of every single part of our lives before us. And the movie will include every attitude, every, every sinful thought, every time we've not kept our word, every time we've subtly allowed someone to uh, reap the poor consequences of our... And Jesus will play this, this movie and it will be actually unbearable for us to take because we'll realize that he sees everything and he knows everything. And in comparison with how I may portray my life as being a good person and all of that, the, the goodness that I have falls so short in comparison with what, with what God expects, but more than that, with who God is as the source of all loveliness, the source of all beauty, the source of all goodness, just pouring from his being. And as I, as I look at him, as I look about my life, I, I've, I'm utterly lost as I look at all those things. And in that place, the Father is perfectly entitled to, to make a judgment on my life. And as it begins to make the judgment, I'm thinking to myself, I am completely lost until Jesus stands in the way and says, Father... <laughs> He belongs to me, and he is justified, but not because he's a good person or not because he's been a terrible person. He's justified because I went and laid down my life and shed a sacrifice that covers over all of his sins and iniquity that he can now not only come to you as a servant, he can now be called a son. He can be called a child of God because of me. And so what happens is, is that the, right at the heart of this is the truth that we cannot justify ourselves either falsely through our pride or falsely through our self-condemnation. But what happens is we're thrown on Jesus and the other word right at the end of this story, which is Jesus' mercy. Jesus' mercy. And mercy some people describe as being receiving what we don't deserve, not, not receiving what we don't, what, nah. some people describe grace is receiving what we don't deserve and mercy is not receiving what we do deserve. And the truth is, is that even in West Sussex, as I hear this so often, like, how could this happen? They're such a good person. 
The truth is when we behold God and how wonderful he is, how he, there's no shadow within him, there's no darkness within him. He's just glorious, radiating light and goodness. The whole time, love is pouring forth from the heart of God. And love does not always pour forth from me. It may pour forth from you, but it doesn't pour forth from me. And that's why I need Jesus. And when he shed his blood on the cross, he was justifying us. That simply becomes our justification by faith. This is the heart of the gospel. Now, I was asked the same question twice this week. The first was from a member of our church um, who, at one of our other congregations. And they said, I'm concerned that the trajectory we are taking as a church by standing on Scripture as being our authority rather than the societal norms that we live in, I'm concerned that 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 in our zeal, we will lose our love? It's a good question, isn't it? And I was asked the same question in my review with the diocese this week. The guy said, as you guys are seeking to shape and inform your lives by the Bible, how are you going to stop a Pharisee spirit from coming into the church? That's a really, really good question. That's a question we need to invite the Holy Spirit to be asking us all the time. But what came tumbling out of my mouth before I could stop myself is that uh, I basically said, we are so, you know, come to our church. Everybody's on fire. We, we love it. We're passionate for the Lord, passionate for the Scriptures. But what, what stops us? Or what can stop us, if we ever lose sight of this, is that we are drenched in mercy. We're drenched in mercy. And so we can live full on for God, but from the perspective of we never lose sight. We never lose sight of the one who gave his life to have mercy upon us. And to then lavish us with his love. And to bring us right into the heart of God. And what happens is sometimes our hearts can, you know, just after a while we, we, we can get a bit, you know, overly excited. And we discover some of God's gifts. And we, we just take our eyes off the fact that we're recipients of mercy. And we suddenly think it's ours. And, and all of this, just flowing from the heart of God, is, is a gift and it's grace and it's mercy to us. Um, the other thing that happened to me this week, um, as I've been thinking about the Good Samaritan, and apologies if this is a week in the life of James Decas, but <laughs> it's awesome, um, was I had just the most beautiful description of the heart of God that happened to me this week. There is somebody, in fact, Jacob, can you just pause this for a minute, just in case? It's the mercy of Jesus. It's the grace of God. And the grace of God fell on this woman this week who doesn't deserve it. She's terrible. She's awful. But do you know what? I love her. And she's going to be in heaven with us forever and ever and ever. And that's mercy. It's mercy. <laughs> It's mercy, and it stops us from, after a while, becoming those that we're pretty good and they're all terrible. No, no. We were, we were sinners, and Christ died for us. 
Paul the Apostle, who wrote most of the New Testament and evangelized most of the Near Eastern world, he said, I'm the foremost of sinners. I would, my life would be, I'd be dead in a ditch if it wasn't for God's mercy. And I never want to lose sight of that. I never want to lose sight of that. And I just want to just show us now that as we close this, just the mercy of Jesus in, in the Good Samaritan. And this is, Philly called it Philiology. This is Jamesology. I've never heard anybody say this. But I'm so, so struck by the Samaritan, someone who didn't believe in Jerusalem, didn't believe in the temple, and was from impure ancestry. But in this story, the Samaritan surely is Jesus who doesn't need worship to happen in Jerusalem, who is the temple. And if you read his ancestry at the start of Matthew's gospel, he even includes the prostitutes as part of his line down from Adam because he's not ashamed. And, and, and let's just think, um, we're, the, we're the guy left, you know, broken on the floor. We're the one who, who's been, uh, you know, oh, sorry, I'm excited now and probably full of it. <laughs> We may feel we're doing well in earthly, in earthly standards, but we were dead in our transgressions when God found us. We're the, we're the guy who's been left by the side of the road. But Jesus came near him, and when he saw him, verse 33, he was moved with pity, and he went to him and he comes to us and bandaged his wounds. He bandages our wounds, and he pours oil and wine he pours the oil of his anointing and gives us the new wine of his spirit. And he takes us to a temporary home, a citizenship here on earth that will one day be replaced by our full-blown material resurrection with Christ in the new heaven and the new earth, which will never fade away and will never perish. And he pours out a payment. He takes out his own money to care for us and to look after us. He pays the price in his own body and blood. Everything we need is paid for by himself. And he says, I'm going to come back. And will you look after him, Holy Spirit, just in this temporary dwelling place, until I come and renew all things and reign with you in the new heavens and the new earth. This is Jesus. He is the Samaritan, impure ancestry, the one who doesn't need a temple, but the one who comes to find you and find me by his mercy. And this is going to be what we need to hold in our hearts as we go forwards, standing passionately for the Lord, but having the softness of heart that comes from keeping our eyes on the one who came to bind up our broken hearts, who came to liberate us from the prison, who came to open our blind eyes, who tended us, who anoints us, who gives us the wine of his spirit and will one day renew all things. This is Jesus and his mercy, and this is what's going to preserve our hearts as we keep our focus on him as we look to the future. And so Jesus says, which of these three was a neighbor? And the lawyer says, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him and says to us, we'll go and do likewise. Amen. Amen. Mm.